and this week and next week, uh, we believe that is critical teaching. The elders were hoping to educate and equip uh, to all of us to be more effective followers of Christ. And we've seen a disturbing trend, and we're trying to protect this church body and the church body globally, um, believers throughout the world. So I, I meet with some other church leaders occasionally, and we all agreed that this is the number one issue in churches today, numero uno. And it wasn't this way a year ago. Um, and, and if you look at the trending church articles and books that are being written, same thing. This is not a Northfield-specific thing. This is a global church thing. Uh, a year and a half ago, who would? The amount of strife caused by having to wear a piece of fabric on our face. Now, I realize I'm trivial, trivial, trivializing that. And it's a lot larger uh, issue, and there's other things going on. But uh, I never would have guessed that we'd be having the issues we had. So uh, let's read our text. It's the same text we read last week and the same text we'll read next week. We're in John 21, 20 through 26. I'm going to read that for you. I do not ask for these only. Remember, this is Jesus praying for his disciples. In his prayer, he's mentioning the disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know thee. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Good morning. I am Matt Miller, and I am one of six elders here at Northfield. And we're doing a series on unity. If this is your first Sunday here, we're doing uh, a six-part series in three Sundays. So uh, two elders each Sunday for three weeks in a row. And Bill and I are going to speak this morning. I'm on maintaining unity, and Bill is about speaking the truth in love. So uh, let's open with a prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would just open our hearts to your word this morning. Um, Give us your eyes to see, to look at our own hearts with sin. Uh, drive us towards repentance, Lord. We can't repent without you even. So heal our church, and I pray, Lord, you heal our land. Please give Bill and I your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive deep into maintaining unity, I want to take a moment and look at a recent trend that might give us a little insight into unity. So I've noticed a large number of uh, groups, cliques, whatever you want to call it, uh, clubs. And I think, you know, these have existed for a very long time, but social media has kind of blown this out of the water, hasn't it? I mean, you can't, there, I did a little research uh, and looked for some examples of how specialized these clubs can be. Did you know, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a Martin Baker ejection tie club. Pilots who have activated their Martin Baker ejection seats and live to tell the tale are officially inducted into the Martin Baker Ejection Tie Club. 
If they survive, they receive a tie, a tie pin, a patch, a certificate, and a membership card to commemorate the event. So far, there are more than 6,000 members of this club. Uh, and I want to say, Micah, do you have a tie? Yes, I do. <laughs> Mike, Micah Manningham is our resident uh, ex-fighter pilot, and he had to eject from a plane. And so Micah has a $17 million tie and tie clip, <laughs> courtesy, of the, courtesy of the taxpayers. <laughs> I thought I'd seen that. I had no idea this club existed. It's a $35 million tie. Oh, it's $35? I grossly underestimated the cost of that. <laughs> uh, there is also a Sons of Lee Marvin club. If you look like the actor Lee Marvin, you're allowed to join this club. I love Lee Marvin. Dirty Dozen is one of my favorite movies. It probably dates me just a little bit. Okay, there is also the Luxuriant Flowing Hair Club for Scientists. Are you a scientist? Do you have an inexplicably gorgeous mane of hair? This club is for you. I think Bill Teeter could probably join this. He's the only scientist I know, and he has a head of hair. So, uh, and, and i just take a side trip here. Notice how scientists have sucked all the humor and joy out of their website by maintaining the 1995 look and the use of acronyms like the LFFFHCFE. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> yes, we'll just keep going. This one is my favorite group. It's growing in popularity with its single member. I started this club. <clears throat> it's the Matt Miller Club. If you're on Facebook and your name is Matt Miller, you are allowed to join this club. Right now, there's only one member. I've invited a few, but nobody's taken me up on it. My emails look suspiciously like spam, apparently. Uh, on the surface, these, in uh, all joking aside, on the surface, many of these appear unifying, right? These are together under a common cause. But I'm going to make the argument this morning that these kind of things are doing the exact opposite of what, what they think they're doing. You see, my focus this morning is on maintaining unity. Last week, Tim and Don did a great job of teaching us what makes a unified body. Don started with our, with our salvation through Jesus Christ, if you remember that. The salvation gives the believer, the Holy Spirit. Every believer in this room has the Holy Spirit, and that same Spirit makes us a family, right? It makes us a body. And Don and Tim talked about that last week. <clears throat> you may be asking why we started with salvation as the basis for unity. Hear me now, because the Holy Spirit is the only thing that gives us unity. Without the Holy Spirit, unity is impossible. Impossible. So why are there so many groups clubs, dare I lump in denominations in that list. You see, it's my human default to do what I want, when I want, with who, with whom, however you want to say that. Listen to whatever music I want. I have my preferences. It's deep in my human nature. It's comfortable. Parents of young children tend to hang out with other parents of young children. Singles tend to hang out with singles, empty nesters with empty nesters, on and on. But Therein lies the problem. If you noticed, I said, it's deep in my human nature. That's the old self. That's the that I was supposed to put off when we, when we put that old person off when we give our lives to Christ. That's not, that's not who we are now. You see, what we're teaching here in this series is countercultural. The world does not work this way. It doesn't make sense to them. And uh, that's, why, that's why this is critically important. That's why in the, the verses we read, that this points people to Christ. It is so weird. Tim gave some great examples of how the body functions and what happens if parts are not functioning well. 
He also did a heartfelt job of reminding us that every single person here in this room is loved by Christ and by us, Christ's body. And that's the truth. But running parallel to that truth is another track, like a railroad track. There are parts of this body and other churches as well. There are people who feel isolated, alone, judged, and watched. And why, why do you think that would be? I'm going to tell you if you're, if you're asking yourself and even if you're not. Uh, it's because I think we believe our opinions and our preferences are at, and our actions are more important than maintaining unity. So you might ask the question, are we maintaining it or are we attaining it? There are two different categories there. Uh, well, we are handed unity when we became believers. That Holy Spirit gives us unity. Four, uh, four one through three. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We were given unity when we became believers. It's up to us to maintain it. If, if you're here today as a follower of Christ, it's your job to maintain unity. And why did God design it this way? Why did Jesus pray that all his disciples would be one? Remember our verse? It's so that the world may know Jesus. What's our, what's our goal here as believers? Our goal here as believers is to point people to Christ. Jesus tells us what points people to Christ. It's unity within the body. That, and to me, we can do all kinds of street evangelism. We can do all kinds of things, and, and all those things can point people to Christ. But Jesus is saying that unity within the body points people to Christ. It is so foreign to the way the world works that we stand out like a sore thumb when we're in unity together. So how do we maintain unity when our human nature and all of society around us is fighting it? We put others above ourselves. And this will not be up on the wall. Philippians 2, 2 through 4. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm sorry, I added vain there, or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. If you watch the news at all, or if you're on social media at all, we are bombarded every day with groups and individuals looking out to their own interests. Race, religion, politics, environment, inside the church, it can be music, it can be COVID, whatever. When you see something, when you see an article or a person that is self-sacrificing, that's doing something for others, and that's putting others above themselves, it sticks out. United in Christ, and we put others above ourselves, it attracts people to Christ. It's so that the world may know Jesus. That's the point. So we wanted this sermon series to be heavy on application. And so here it goes. I'm going to give us three practical tips to maintain unity. There are blanks in your bulletin if you're a note taker. Um, the Holy Spirit gives you the strength to be self-aware. Number one is self-aware. What has that other person gone through? And how are my speech and actions landing on them? Look at the body language of the person you're talking to. Are they uncomfortable? Did they laugh genuinely? Out of courtesy? Or worse yet, out of nervousness? Number two is be humble. 
We need to keep our opinions to ourselves. I would say this 12 times if I could. We need to keep our opinions to ourselves. Keep our opinions to ourselves. Do people groan audibly when you weigh in on a topic? Replace groan with roll their eyes or say the words not again or don't start that again or do they leave the room? It might be a problem. What happens when we voice our stance on COVID or politics or race on Facebook? We garner likes, do we not? I did this yesterday. I looked at a, I looked at a post, not from this congregation. I looked at a post and that, that position was different than my position. So what did I do? I clicked on the button to see who liked it. Now I have a list in my head of people who do not think the way I think and who believe something opposite. Now what's that do for me? I have two choices. I can, I can forget that and, and wipe it out or I can start laying a foundation for disunity. I can not talk to those people, I can avoid them, I can do other things, but I got a whole list now of people who do not agree with me on that particular point. This is happening every day, and it happens inside this church. Those comments are a foundation that, that we're building a wall between us and other believers. I want to look at COVID just for a second as a recent example, and COVID looks very different depending on the eyes through which you're viewing it. To the nurse dealing with dying patients, COVID looks one way. To the person in cancer treatments, it may look different. To the grade schooler, to the stay-at-home mom, to the traveling businessman who's got to uh, go from country to country, to someone waiting to have surgery or a medical procedure, we're all looking at the same, we're all looking at it from different angles and viewpoints. And I want to take a moment and, and say that this is similar to looking at Mount Rushmore. To some people, it looks like just another mountain, a giant rock. To some, it looks like the side profile of three faces. To others, it looks like one giant head. For others, it's a distant view through a tunnel. But when we've seen it from every side, we can put the whole picture together. Which one of those pictures was a picture of Mount Rushmore? You can answer. All of them. Every single one of them was a picture of Mount Rushmore. Which one is the most complete? I would say this one. All the others, we know what's behind that mountain. We know what's on top of it. We know what it looks like from a distance. We know what it looks like from up close. Our opinions are based on our experiences, which are almost always incomplete. Better to wait and comment than to comment foolishly. The third point is be discerning. Does it square with scripture? Is it building up or is it tearing down? Is it kind? Is it loving? Now, I want to stop right here and say saying hard things can be loving. And Bill's going to touch on that in just a little bit. And I also want to, want to close out here with saying I'm not standing up here with, as somebody who has all this nailed down. I am not always humble. often am not aware of how my words affect other people. I am extremely black and white. Um, but the Lord is slowly beating all those things out of me. 52 years old, and I think he's about 25% complete. So I want to leave you with some encouragement this morning. Uh, this church has a deep love for people. I've seen it, I see it over and over again, for hospitality, for family, and that is a result of the Holy Spirit working in this congregation, in people in this congregation. Keep that going. 
grow it even more and more by being self-aware, by being humble, and by being discerning. And with the Holy Spirit, all of this is possible. Remember that we're doing this so that the world may know Jesus. continue on. Um, first of all, I'm going to point out that, well, my name's Bill, one of the elders here also, and glad that we're having this particular conversation. So in the very beginning, we're going to, I'm pointing back, us, back to us what the goal is, and that is we are intended for unity that the world may know Jesus. We're intended for it. God's intention is that he builds that in us, and in our job is to help maintain it. And so, sometimes smooth, and smooth sailing is what we like, and sometimes being a part of a church is also smooth sailing. It's encouraging, it's a peaceful time, it can be with friendly people, with good music, good teachings, good fellowship, child care, and maybe even at some point, noon lunch. Or, sometimes you get this. You get turmoil in life, and church isn't much better. We live in a fallen world full of broken people, and even those who are redeemed from sin can still be disagreeable, uncivil, sinful, and selfish. It is, a hard, it is hard to keep the unity God calls us to maintain when we hang around clumsy, reforming sinners like ourselves that are not all there yet. Congregations are also diverse. New believers, non-believers, old believers, stellar believers, and those that are stuck in besetting sins, mature believers, immature ones, traditional ones, non-traditional ones. <laughs> and, and we're all under one roof. And you guys at home listening right along with us. And if you have different histories and different experiences and understandings, and you couple that with the human tendency to jump to conclusions, be inconsiderate, be impatient, and be fault-finding, and you seem to have a stance, which we come and do, of us versus them, which isn't uncommon, unity can take a big hit. Given enough time, you can find the same situation in any congregation that has people in it. And sadly, all of these are unity busters. We are intended for unity. The world may know Jesus. So, how can we navigate around our different theology, traditions, and preferences? Um, taking into account all of our different conclusions, our different concerns about church decisions or societal and political concerns. How are we going to maintain unity, which is what Jesus says is critical? How do we build a culture of unity? A culture is something that we live in and react to, something that becomes normal in our lives how do we build that? Well, a good start might be found in Ephesians 4, and I'll read that. It says, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth about what God has said, what God has done, what God expects of us is essential to Christian maturity, and the loving manner in which it is given and received is essential in maintaining our unity. How believers settle our differences, our concerns, and our offenses are to be marked by the truth spoken in love. Let's take a, just a quick look at truth, too. Um, the problem with truth is that uh, what may I have embraced may be my point of view, or it may be God's truth. So in here we got uh, truth being God's view. Truth, it's, all, it's in all caps. It is the true reality. And then there's my view. And my view may be my studied opinion based on my limited experiences, my speculation, and it can't go without my preferences. All of that comes into play in my view, which may not be the truth. It's just kind of like the truth I'm having used to. Well, well, let's take a look at truth again, capital truth. God's view. His is accurate judgment. His is the big picture. My truth, limited accuracy, influenced by my culture, commonly contains error. Again, God's truth is eternal truth. My truth, it's temporal. It's the truth till I change my mind or I hit someone else changes my mind. It's not stable. In Proverbs 18, it says, The one who states his case first seems right. The other comes and examines him. You've seen that happen before. Have you ever jumped to conclusions and had to retract what you said or rethought things years later and changed your mind? Apparently, maybe it wasn't the truth. I have. Can you and I see that sometimes we are overconfident and too outspoken and that we are not as humble about what we believe as we should be? So how can we handle the strong differences of opinions that we have between different believers? How can we handle those? How should I handle it with other person? Well, first of all, do I need to say anything at all? Or, if I need to say something, am I going to create a heated argument by my choice of words? Or am I going to be able to say things in a way that they can hear it? Am I going to be able to ask them, first of all, why they have concluded X, which I haven't, 
or why? Whatever it is that they've concluded, am I going to be bothered or willing to listen to them share the whole thing? Am I going to hear them out or am I going to tell them off? Even if I am correct and I have the truth behind me, I will fail Christ if I do not speak the truth in love. My goal should not be, never be, to win an argument. It is to win my brother, to maintain the, the truth, and to maintain our unity. In 2 Timothy, it says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, a knowledge of the real truth. Can you speak the truth in love? Will there be gentleness and patience in your voice? Will you be willing to play the long game and persuade someone over months or years? Will you prepare your heart by praying for them so that your heart is in the right spot? You're wanting them to flourish, not win an argument. Well, that's with speaking up. And sometimes there's plenty of us that don't like speaking up, and I'm one of them. We don't like confrontation, especially with those we care about. So we don't speak up when we should. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, a very close Christian brother of mine advised a family member that I was wrong about something and admonished me. And this had troubling consequences for me. Because he did not approach me and did not ever hear me out before he advised I became greatly frustrated with these consequences. Unfortunately, I did not approach him with my offense. I did not bring it up. I did not think I would be heard, so I asked myself. I did not want another situation to occur. I was not rude, but we were not close anymore. And after years had gone by, the Lord would remind me time and again of Matthew 18, where it addresses this kind of a situation when you're offended. And it says in there, if your brother sins against you or offends you, you go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. I had let an offense break the unity that we had, and after a time, I felt guilt for not following the scriptural admonition and sinning by not speaking up. And in the end, the Lord convinced me to go to that brother. And in this case, I had to travel some distance and seek forgiveness for not speaking up when I should have. Because I was distancing myself and breaking unity. He kindly forgave me. Maintaining the unity that Christ created is sometimes hard, awkward work. There's also other benefits for going with that Matthew 18 approach. You know, we can go to a brother who has offended us, out 
We misunderstood things. We had come to false conclusions. We believed the worst in them, and we were wrong. And that is why it is good to tell him his fault just between the two of us alone. Otherwise, we may end up being needing to do an awful lot of asking for forgiveness. You know, we need to not only speak the truth in love, we need to even do the harder work, and I think it's harder work, and that is to hear the truth in love. There are sins and there are failings in each of us that we don't see. We can't see them. And those character flaws and your teachers have seen that you dismissed, they are likely still there. They are likely some of the reasons for, what, for some of the trouble you have found yourself in from time to time. In Proverbs, it says, And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. There's consequences to not listening. And why don't we receive admonishment? Well, it's mostly my pride. But if we remind ourselves of the gospel, and that is we are more sinful and broken than we would ever dare admit or believe, and we are also more loved and affirmed by Christ than we could have ever hoped, at that point, if I take that seriously, I can be open to correction. Because your judgment on me holds no basis. I'm already recognizing I'm sinful, and God always recognizes that I'm okay with him. As a friend, you might be able to be helpful. In Proverbs, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You see, it takes a faithful friend to bring up these errors in ourselves. A faithful friend to tell us the hard things that we don't want to hear. And why do they take the risk? Because they love us. And what should our posture be when they speak up, finally? Does humbleness come to mind? We need to consider whatever truth they speak. We need to listen well. And where they misunderstand, we can respond to that. But in the end, we must work to embrace what is true in what they're saying and maintain our unity with them. Sometimes we make our views a a hill to distance on or a hill to divide on. But God is interested in a different way. He intends for us to do the hard and awkward work of maintaining unity. True loving community is what we long for. That's what we've enjoyed. When you've been in it before, you know the beauty and goodness of it. It is also what we were made for, a true, loving community. It won't come without unity. Christians are to be noble people who seek peace and pursue it, 
who consider others more highly than themselves, who are humble and seek forgiveness, who are committed to speaking the truth in love and hearing the truth in love, a congregation committed to maintaining unity in the bond of peace. Because we are intended for unity so that the world might know Jesus. As the music crew comes back on up to sing a closing song set, I would like you to join me in prayer. If you would. Thank you so much, Lord, for your family, that I may have brothers and sisters for the times I need correction, for things I can't see, for the times I need comfort in my pain, for the times I might be able to be useful in their lives and provide opportunities to show them love. Lord, please help each one of us to speak your truth in love, to see what things that are in our, in our lives that are our own opinion, that are actually breaking unity and driving others away. Help us, Lord, to maintain the unity that you so preciously bought for us on the cross. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to maintain your unity. I pray this in Jesus' name.